Dr. Rachel Griffiths, and I'm with my father and business partner in aquatics, Dr. Tom Griffiths. Welcome to The Drowning Files, where each week we share a lawsuit we've been involved in or another true story with suggestions to learn from these tragedies to save lives. What case do you have today? Well, you're going to like this case for several reasons. Um, we were fortunate to have a high-definition security camera capture this entire scenario, which was really mind-boggling. Uh, in this case, there was a very nice uh, country club-type pool. I believe it actually it was a homeowners association for a very upscale community. And uh, a very nice, complex swimming complex with different amenities in the pool itself. They had a big shallow water shelf where non-swimmers and little waders could hang out. They had a water basketball game going on at the time. They had several hot tubs, um, a, a lot of different aquatic activities all going on in the same big pool vessel, outdoor pool during the summer months. <clears throat> and when I got involved with the case, uh, the first thing I did, as usual, is watch the video. Let's go to the tapes. So we go to the tapes, and this video is just crystal clear, particularly for a security camera. And there's a lifeguard to the left, just to the left of the incident location where this boy drowns. And um, there is a lifeguard across the pool, across this shallow water ledge, but you can't see it on the video. So there were at least two lifeguards there. And there was a water basketball game going on on the left side of the pool. All of a sudden, from the right, he's trotting on the deck. He walks right up to next to the lifeguard. And the lifeguard, by the way, is not in the stand. The lifeguard is sitting on the deck next to the stand with his feet in the water. And the child walks right up to the edge of the pool. And he jumps into the water, just leaps into the pool, just to the left of the shallow water ledge. The shallow water ledge was a big area, a big <clears throat> uh, semicircle gunite area. And it had about a foot, a foot and a half of water on that. And then it just had a straight drop off to about four feet which to me was very, very dangerous. There was no guardrail. There was no lifeline. You just went from a shallow water wading toddler edge to boop, about four feet of water. Well, this child jumped <clears throat> into the deep water and immediately started floundering, started, you know, splashing in the water, uh, going up and down, very, very active. Uh, his arms were splashing the water. He was bobbing up and down. And he's doing this with a fairly full swimming pool, people on the ledge, people in the main pool, uh, people playing water basketball, an elevated lifeguard stand within 10 feet of where he jumped in, keeping in mind that the lifeguard who should have been sitting in that chair was sitting on the pool deck just to the left. <clears throat> so this child is struggling on the surface and under the water for about two minutes. 
some children who were playing in that area stopped to look at him underwater and did the double take, um, did the bystander effect, if you will, looked and looked again, but then continued to play with their friends because they assumed that the child was okay and just holding his breath. But then an adult, a mother, <clears throat> walked up to the edge of the ledge and looked at him and then looked at her kids in the water, spoke to them, and walked back to her picnic area, walked off camera. And then in a minute or two later, she walks back to the ledge, speaks to her children, but again looks at the child on the bottom and, and sees a motionless child on the bottom of a crystal clear water swimming pool, very nice swimming pool. So she says something to the lifeguard and yells at the lifeguard and points to the boy underwater. And now at this time, a young lady has replaced the lifeguard who was sitting on the pool deck. She has just climbed up on the chair and sat down in the elevated chair just prior to the woman crying out to her and saying, hey, there's a child on the bottom of the pool. So <clears throat> the, the lifeguard, the male lifeguard on the pool deck, when he got up to take his break, he didn't inspect the pool bottom. He would have seen the child on the bottom. And then when the female lifeguard took his place but sat up on the elevated chair, she didn't scan the bottom because he was right under her nose. Then this woman who was a bystander alerted the lifeguards that this child was on the bottom. And as usual, once the drowning victim is detected, then all heck break, breaks loose. Everybody comes a running. All the lifeguards came a running. All the family members, none of which were in close proximity to this child, came a running. Um, and they fished the kid out. Now, as you look at the video, because he was submerged for about three, four minutes, you assume that this child died. But so fortunately for the family and for the facility, the child totally recovered, totally recovered. The lifeguards and the security that was in place at the pool uh, did CPR on the deck, took him to the hospital, and he totally, totally survived. Uh, but was really different about this case was to see this young, happy child just leap into water over his head, no hesitation at all. And then to see the lifeguards at the facility, uh, not only did they miss the struggling on the surface, they missed the struggling underwater, and then they missed his still unconscious body on the bottom, which was very well contrasted. The lifeguards just missed it completely. Um, so basically, the, the, those are the facts of that case. And as I remember, he he didn't have definitely didn't have great swim ability. He didn't have wasn't a good swimmer or a proficient swimmer, nothing like that. But I think maybe he had a little bit of swim ability because I did notice him um, put his head back. It kind of seems like for a couple of seconds at a time here and there during the struggle, he would put his head back uh, trying to breathe. Um, so I, I think he might've maybe been in the pool before. It didn't seem like his first time and maybe had a little swimming ability or perhaps it was just instinctual. Did you notice that? 
I sure did. And you're you're right. I, I don't know what is correct, though. He certainly hopped into the pool like he was confident. Um, and so putting that head back, uh, he could have been trying to do a back float. But then again, it might have been a part of his drowning behavior. We just don't know. But what I did notice, uh, which was really, really tragic, um, is how he reached for that ledge, that shallow water ledge with his hands and then with his feet. And I think that was a part of the head back motion was he was trying to place his feet on the ledge out of desperation. So, um, yes, I think you're right. He may have had some swimming ability, but whatever ability he had uh, didn't come near to water competency. He was not a swimmer. And as you and I often discuss, is one of the downsides of swimming lessons, and we want everyone to, every child to take swimming lessons early and often, is that it can instill premature overconfidence so that when they get their beginner certificate or whatever certificate they finish a class, um, the parents and the child may think they're proficient already, which of course they're not. So parents have to be careful that just because they took two weeks of swim lessons doesn't make them Michael Phelps. And that's the super danger zone is when kids are in that highest age, highest risk age group for drowning between one and four, one and five, he's around that age. And then you get a little bit of swimming ability where the child wants to go in the water, has been in the water, but they don't have the skills to save themselves in the water. So there's this this extra dangerous zone um, kind of in between and, and right before a child learns to pro- proficiently swim. When we went to the World Conference on Drowning Prevention um, conference in South Africa, there there was research and a, a presentation on this that we attended about time in the water and how much, um, how many skills can be lost when kids aren't in the water. And just the comparisons of, of when you're in the water and you're learning to swim, you can get all of the skills and seem like you're a good swimmer. But if you have a month off or two months off and don't continue that, that can be detrimental and you lose those skills. And I think that's something a lot of people don't realize is that once you, you can pass swimming lessons with flying colors and think, you know, my kid or this child is, is a swimmer now because they passed their swim lessons. They did well. That's often not necessarily so, especially at a younger age, they can really um, kind of backslide when they're not practicing those skills regularly, say over the winter um, if they're not swimming all year round. Good point. That's a great point. So for parents and caregivers and I guess lifeguards and other staff members alike, the bystander effect was a big thing um, in play in this scenario. And it is in a lot of their scenarios where there's a diffusion of responsibility. So the more people present, the more each person assumes somebody else is watching. There's also the assumption that nothing's wrong. If all these people are present and no one's acting, then that person must be okay, especially when people look right at the child 
um, and don't take any action. And the more that happens, the more people are around and not taking action, uh, the more people mistakenly think that help is not needed. So the bystander effect comes into play in these situations a lot. And just having awareness um, can be helpful for for lifeguards, parents, and caregivers. And in this case, you have at least three different individuals um, take a look at the child and then look away. The female lifeguard who got up into the elevated lifeguard stand looked down at the child for a second. You could see her looking at the boy and then turned away. Um, girls in the water approached him, looked under the water, and then resumed playing. And of course, the woman who eventually got the attention of the lifeguard walked out on the ledge twice and looked at the child. And the second time finally took action. But if these lifeguards and parents knew about the bystander effect, perhaps they would have responded a little bit sooner. So never assume other people know what's going on about the situation and always figure out for yourself is a good rule of thumb when it comes to addressing the bystander effect. Also yes. for um, the facility and for parents and caregivers, having as many layers of protection in place as possible. So the parents should be there. Parents, caregivers, whoever is with that child should not leave that child the whole time. They should be within arm's reach um, as well as life jackets being used um, and swim lessons consistently and continually just to name a few, but as many layers of protection as possible because no layer is perfect or in case one does fail. When it's possible, it's good for lifeguards to roam and walk around too, because then when they're closer to the person, they may be more likely to act if they're right there on the pool edge where that child is. I, I totally agree with that. And, and you and I have been pushing patrolling guards because they're already moving. They don't have to overcome inertia by standing up in the lifeguard chair and then climbing down. They're already moving. And in this particular case, it was a golden opportunity to have a lifeguard in knee deep water pacing that drop off from the very shallow water in that shallow water shelf to the edge of the four foot depth pool. And so a lifeguard walking back patrolling that ledge um, would have been an extra layer of protection in case a child couldn't make it back to the ledge or slip off the ledge or was pushed off the ledge. Ironically, this young boy didn't even use the safety ledge. He walked on the deck in kind of a trot, almost a trot, didn't even hesitate, and just leaped into deeper water. So what were the details of the case um, that you found out? So what did each side argue and how did it end up coming to a close. Sure. And it was a classic, classic argument. Uh, the facility, the defendants blame the parents for not watching the child and that's justified. And the parents um, said that with the facility, they were trained, they were certified. They should have been watching my child and looking, but no, they weren't. They weren't watching the child because clearly the video evidence showed that they didn't see the child, but a woman clearly did, and saw the child beneath the, the water more than one. So um, when you ask me about the details, it's kind of frustrating for me because the details are confidential, and I never receive those. But 
the, the best thing about this case, it's not about the money. The child was fine. Uh, they took him to the hospital. I don't know when he was released, but apparently he doesn't have any long lasting effects, at least initially. I don't know what they, the parents received, but it settled quickly, meaning that they probably received a lot. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, but I really, I really don't know about those details. And it settled quickly because, in large part, because they had video evidence of the whole thing from the security cameras. Security camera coverage, like we had in this case, speeds up the trial, <clears throat> speeds up the settlement, because you don't have the two sides arguing about how long it took the lifeguards to get there, how long uh, were the lifeguards not watching, how long was the child's uh, struggling. Without security cameras, it's just all guesswork. And of course, the defendants stretch out the time for the plaintiffs and the plaintiffs stretch out the time for the lifeguards. So with security camera, you've got the facts. 